Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. This is the Skip Bayless Show, episode 87. In honor of Jake Ferguson of my Dallas Cowboys. A player I believe is going to have a big game Sunday at Philadelphia, where a year ago in Philadelphia, Jake Ferguson of my Cowboys caught a seven-yard touchdown pass that cut the score to 20-17 to early in the fourth quarter during which he put a little shake-and-bake move on C.J. Gardner-Johnson, late of the Eagles, now of the Detroit Lions. But Jake Ferguson, underrated, as are my Cowboys. I'm about to get to just that. But this, as always, is the un-undisputed. Everything I cannot share with you during the two-and-a-half-hour debate show that is undisputed. today. I will explain to you in depth why I truly believe my Cowboys will win Sunday at Philadelphia. I will also tell you which player I think is better, Russell Westbrook or, yep, James Harden. And I will answer a number of your probing, provocative questions about Halloween, Halloween candy. And finally, which team is the America's team of the NBA and why that team is not in the same galaxy with my team, the only America's team. But first up, as always, it is not to be skipped. I start with one of your questions. This one from Bruce from Bakersfield. How are you so confident the Cowboys can win a game at Philadelphia? Sunday, 425 Eastern on Fox, Dallas at Philadelphia. The first of the two showdowns this year between Cowboys and Eagles. Dallas opened as a two-and-a-half-point underdog. Yet, if you do assume 
Three points are given for home field advantage. Huh, interesting. That means the odds makers actually are saying Dallas is slightly better than Philadelphia. I concur. But why do I concur? I start with a quarterback for my Dallas Cowboys I do not love. I start with Dak Prescott. I start with the quarterback whose jersey, after San Francisco 42 to 10, I threw in my trash can and left in my trash can to be taken out with the trash. Not a big Dak believer in most big games, except against Philadelphia. Weirdest phenomenon I think I've ever encountered in the history of my Dallas Cowboys. And I've been lifelong diehard. I've written three books about the Cowboys. I started as a fan in 1961. Never seen anything quite like this. Somehow against Philadelphia, Dak Prescott turns into Roger Staubach, my all-time favorite Cowboy quarterback. Against San Francisco, he's Danny White. Not a big favorite of mine. Danny wasn't bad. He wasn't Roger. As you well know, last three games against San Francisco, Dak is just flat out stunk. First two were playoff games. The last one I just mentioned, I can't even speak of it because it turns my stomach 42 to 10. That's all you need to know, and that's all I need to say about that ancient history. Dak's had a lot of big game, bad games, except against Philadelphia. My quarterback is 8-2 lifetime against Philadelphia. My quarterback is 3-1 at Philadelphia. My quarterback sees green and suddenly falls into this blissful, beautiful comfort zone. My quarterback sees green in Philadelphia, and it's cry, Eagles, cry. Who knew? I'll be honest with you. I can't really explain this, but I don't need to explain it. I just know it. The numbers scream. Dak plays best against Philadelphia. The numbers scream that I got a great chance Sunday at Philadelphia because of my quarterback. Against San Francisco, body language is shaky. It's nervous. It's it's edgy. It's on the edge. It's over the edge. Happy feet in the pocket. Two early interceptions thrown in the playoff game last year in San Francisco. I don't know who that guy is, but this guy, I love this guy. This guy's jersey I would proudly wear if I had one. It's gone. But it all started for me back in 
2018. That's, that's when it first grabbed me right around the throat. Ironically, soon after the first time I threw Dak's jersey in the trash and then was forced to go retrieve it from said trash. Do you remember 2018? Jerry went out at the trade deadline and he snatched Amari Cooper away from the, what were they then? Oakland Raiders? Were they still Oakland? I think they were. From the Raiders. Jerry Jones, Amari Cooper, I was ecstatic, gave a first-round pick to John Gruden for Amari Cooper, and all of a sudden, Dak had a weapon that he would soon trust. But it didn't happen immediately because Amari had practiced like one time that week of a game that was actually on a Monday night at Jerry World against the Tennessee Titans featuring Kevin Byard at safety. Early throw, Dak tried to hit the newcomer Amari Cooper in the back of the end zone missed him badly. And guess who was waiting for the errant toss? One Kevin Byard intercepted in the end zone, ended up running all the way out to midfield, to the star, to the logo, and he went T.O. on the logo, unfortunately. Yep, I give you, Kevin Byard has owned Dak. He picked him twice more at Tennessee last year. Three career picks against Dak. But he wasn't playing for Philadelphia. He's playing for Tennessee. Whole different ball of wax. This is a ball of green wax. So Dallas lost that game that night, 28-14 to on the Monday night stage, and I was humiliated. I was devastated. I obviously root for Undisputed, and I thought, well, that's the end of Cowboys on Undisputed this year. We can't even talk about them anymore because they just fell to three and five. And when I least expected it, the following Sunday on a short week, my Dallas Cowboys featuring Rain Dakota Prescott at quarterback went to Philadelphia and won the game 27 to 20. I sat in awe watching the game. I watched Dak Prescott go 26 of 36 for 270 yards, a touchdown, and zero interceptions. And I saw a fateful third and eight late in the game at Philly's 32 go to not Amari Cooper, but to Alan Hearns. Remember Alan Hearns? He eventually, later in that year, in a home playoff game against Seattle, suffered a terrible leg injury. Terrible leg injury. Ended his Cowboy career. But what a throw and catch that was. What a run after catch that was for 23 yards that set up the go-ahead touchdown. And I said, what just hit me right between the eyes? Dak did. No more Dak Strescott for me against Philadelphia. Now, I will give you this. The following year in 2019 at Philadelphia, Dak did miss a late throw. But I'm going to give him a pass and a break for that pass, that overthrown pass. You remember the game that was 17-9 Eagles? at Philadelphia late in the year, 
Dak threw for 265 in the game. Not great stats, 25 of 44. It's cold. It was windy. Guess who shut it down in the fourth quarter? The newcomer, Amari Cooper. He had shut it down at New England. Well, let me go back. He'd shut it down at the Jets. He caught one early ball, and then somehow he was out of the game. I don't know what happened. Came right back the next week with a big game against Philadelphia at home. At New England, Stephon Gilmore, now a Dallas Cowboy, took Amari out of the game so completely that Amari wound up quitting wearing one of those long coats on the sideline, another cold, windy day in New England, shut it down. He was running such half-hearted routes was Amari Cooper in the fourth quarter at Philadelphia that year in 2019. Jason Garrett yanked him from the game. And people still tell me, oh, you shouldn't have given up Amari Cooper. Shouldn't have given him away to Cleveland. After that, I'd seen enough after that. Jerry still gave him some money. He gave him a lot of money. And then realized the error of those ways and finally dumped him on Cleveland. But the only reason Tavon Austin was in the game for the final series was because Jason Garrett had benched Amari Cooper for running half-hearted routes. You believe in this? First play of that drive, first and 10 from the 25-yard line. Amari Cooper runs a go route, and he went, and he was wide open, and Dak airmailed him. I'm pretty sure they were with the wind at that point. He just airmailed him because I think he thought that Austin – Tavon Austin was so much faster than Amari at that point. I I don't know, but it was the one bad throw he's made against Philadelphia. They would have needed to go for two to tie the score anyway, but they lost 17 to nine. Then do you remember what happened? If I can go backwards to 2018, the second game after the big win at Philadelphia in December, Philly came to Dallas back in that game threw for a career high in a win. It was an overtime game, but he threw for 455 yards against Carson Wentz and company. Dallas won that game 29 to 23. And it just kept on keeping on for Dak. All the way to last year, Christmas Eve. Do you remember that game? Dak threw for 347. Again, Jalen Hurts did not play in that game. Gardner Minshew did. But again, Jalen didn't, you know, he's not a safety. He didn't play on defense. The Eagles' defense was there. And Dak threw a Christmas Eve party on them. 27 of 35. That's pretty great. For 347, three touchdowns and just one pick. 40 to 34. We hung 40 points on that Eagles' defense. And I will remind you, as I refer back to Jake Ferguson, as I opened, Cooper Rush went to Philadelphia last year, and he got off to a really rocky start. He had a couple early interceptions, one tip, the first one, the second was just terrible. Then he settled in, and here he came. And all of a sudden, I look up early in the fourth quarter, and he's cut a 20 to nothing lead all the way to 20 to 17 thanks to a slick move by Jake Ferguson to make it 20-17, to seven-yard touchdown pass. And my defense could not stop Jalen Hurts' offense. 
third and five, third and four, third and five, three straight big conversions, and boom, 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 touchdown, ball game. Cooper Rush even put my Cowboys in position to win at Philadelphia, as Dak will do this Sunday. Like my chances. I like my chances even more against the Eagles at home later on December 10th because my team has now won 11 straight games at home. After this game on the road Sunday, four of the next five are at home. That's why I like this team. That, Bruce from Bakersfield, is why I'm so confident. And what's more, even beyond my quarterback, I feel like America is still sleeping on America's team because we did go to the desert and suffer a debacle, a disaster. 28-16 Arizona, we were not ready to play after we lost Trevon Diggs the Thursday before to an ACL rupture in practice. Talking about practice. Crushed me, crushed the team, not ready to play at Arizona. And now Joshua Dobbs has been traded to Minnesota. And his record is one and seven this year. And the one was us. I told you the day after. We lost our easiest game on the schedule at Arizona. But now it feels like ancient history. 42 to 10 feels like ancient history. Because I'm looking at the overall stats and I'm saying America is still sleeping on America's team because of those two games. Guess who's number one in the NFC in points scored? How about Dallas? Guess who's number one in the NFC in points allowed? How about Dallas? Guess who's second in the NFC in the all-important telltale turnover differential? Tells the tale every year. You can just look. The top teams will be at the top of turnover differential. We're second at plus six to, weirdly, inexplicably, aberrationally, the Bucks, the Tampa Bay Bucks, are at plus eight, number one in the NFC in turnover differential. I can't figure that out, but they are. But their record says otherwise because they've now fallen to three and four. So if you throw that out, you could argue, in effect, of the good teams in the NFC, we're number one in turnover differential. Points scored, points allowed, turnover differential. Bang, bang, bang. America's team. Hmm, interesting. 11 straight wins at home. An upcoming very favorable schedule. We we also lead the league in what I call, if I can sort of coin a new term, explosivity. That's what I call it. You might call it explosiveness, but I like explosivity. Because no team in the NFL can explode on an opponent the way the Cowboys can. 
we went to New York when they were riding high. The Giants, they were going to be a playoff team. Everybody picked them to be in the playoffs. Coming off a playoff year. Coming off a playoff win at Minnesota. We went in there on opening Sunday night and beat them 40 to nothing. We beat Belichick 38 to 3. It's hard to win NFL games 40 to nothing and 38 to 3. All I heard for th- three weeks better be careful about the Rams. They're dangerous on offense. They can score, they could outscore you. Matthew Stafford's coming home to Dallas 43 to 20, and it was. 33 to 3 at one point. Explosivity. Underrated, overlooked, sleeping on my Dallas Cowboys. I've said again and again, we'll go only as far as my oh Micah, 11 from heaven, and our defense carry us, except against Philadelphia. I like my quarterback against Philadelphia. No more Dak Strescott. No more bad body language. I'm going to feel like I have Roger Staubach at quarterback Sunday at Philadelphia. And I am picking the Cowboys. I will save my score for Friday's Undisputed, but I am picking the Dallas Cowboys, and I just made my case. Thank you very much, Bruce from Bakersfield. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. This is Ashton from San Jose. What did you go as for Halloween? Ashton, I did not dress up as anybody or anything or anyone for Halloween this year. I've never been a big Halloween guy. In fact, this question makes me hark back to the last time I actually dressed up for Halloween. I'm pretty sure, I could have my year wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure it was my first Halloween in Bristol, Connecticut at the mothership of ESPN after I'd been on cold pizza in New York City for the previous three years. That show was moved up to Bristol, rebranded as First Take. So I'm pretty sure We moved in May of 2007 up to Connecticut. I'm pretty sure this would have been Halloween, maybe of 2007. It it could be 2008. I'm I'm not sure. Somewhere in this period, our showrunner at that point was Galen Gordon. Hello, Galen. How are you, sir? Miss you. Everybody was dressing up. Jay Crawford dressing up. Dana Jacobson dressing up. It was sort of cold pizza disguised as first take. Galen says, hey, you got to think of something. 
not a big dress-up guy. Okay. And I don't know if it was my idea or his. Probably mine. I'll go as LeBron. Why not? So we wrangled up a Cavaliers. Was he wearing 23? I'm sure he was. So it was a 23 jersey. I think if you're watching right now, we have a picture of it. LeBron was a headband guy at that at that time. So I wore LeBron's whatever color that is, that Cleveland maroonish color. What is it a wine color? Whatever it is. I wore that headband. And as I've mentioned before, in those days, I actually lived during the week at the residence inn in what's called Southington, Connecticut. It's just on the south border of Bristol. Six, eight minutes from the ESPN campus. But I lived at the residence inn during the week. Then I went back to New York to see Ernestine on the weekend. Sometimes she came up, but I kept the room 365 days there at the residence inn. Loved living there. They took such great care of me. So to complete my costume, I went down to the front desk, asked a couple of the ladies working the front desk, buddies of mine, hey, I need a brick. What, what do you need a brick for? That's for a Halloween costume. They, they couldn't understand. That's fine. He said, well, there's no bricks around here. And then one of them said, well, hey, we're remodeling at home at her house. And she said, there's, there's a stack of bricks outside. I could, I could let you borrow a brand new brick, but you'd have to give it back because we're going to use it. I said, cool. Let me borrow it just for Halloween. So she brought a brick to work and I took a brick to work. And <laughs> on TV, I was shooting a brick in honor of LeBrick, who, by the way, little known fact, would you believe during last year's playoffs, in the fourth quarters of those playoff games, LeBron set the all-time playoff record for consecutive missed three-point shots in fourth quarters of playoff games at 20. He missed 20 in a row. Seriously, he missed 20 in a row. LeBrick, would you believe in the four fourth quarters against Denver, he shot one of 10 from three combined? Guess I was ahead of the curve. LeBrick, it's the last time I ever dressed up for Halloween. So this makes me hark back to my childhood when I never could quite understand the meaning of Halloween. I thought too much as a kid. This is the way my mind worked. So in those days, there weren't a lot of fancy costumes. We didn't have a lot of money. So for Halloween, I'm talking when I was a little kid, three, four, five, six, seven. What you did was you went to Woolworths and, and you had two choices. You could be a goblin or a devil, a goblin or a devil. And the costumes cost like 99 cents and they were throwaways where you'd wear them on Halloween night and just literally just throw them in the trash because they were just junk. And so I would start to wonder, wait a minute. So 
I go to church on Sunday and they're saying, beware of the devil. And then here comes Halloween. And my parents are saying, well, you want to be a devil? I, I don't know. I, I thought I was supposed to be afraid of the devil, be wary of the devil. I, I don't know. So it was always odd to me that we had sort of a holiday, a quasi-holiday that, that celebrated the dark side. I don't think I ever went as a devil. I think I always was a goblin. I, I could live with that. And then I began to watch the Halloween-ish type movies, and I found as long as I was dealing with Frankenstein or Dracula or the, any kind of werewolf, I was good. I was entertained. I could live with it because they weren't real. I was pretty sure there never really was a Frankenstein or Dracula, to my knowledge. And I was pretty sure werewolves don't exist. They're fiction. So I could deal with the fiction, but as I got a little older and I tried other horror movies based on reality, did I ever get shell-shocked to the soul? I will never forget, I was 15, already dating the woman who would become my first wife named Liz back in Oklahoma City. And I don't know what possessed me, so to speak, but I took her one afternoon during spring break, we went to an afternoon show at what was called Shepherd Mall. I think it's still there, but I don't think it's a mall anymore. The Shepherd Twin Theaters. I went to see Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. I had no idea what I was getting into, but it is real, live horror. I got rocked to my soul. I could not sleep for two nights. I just couldn't sleep. I had to sleep with the lights on. It got me. I don't know if you know it, but I saw it one time, and now just saying the name Psycho gives me chills. I have never watched one frame of it since because I I don't want to sleep with the lights on again. But back in my childhood, I did my share of trick-or-treating, but this is the way my mind would work. I, I never could understand trick or treat because it always seemed backward to me. It, it should be treat or trick, right? Because the idea is if you knock on the door and they don't give you a treat, then you give them a trick. So it's treat or trick. It seems like we got that upside down, but that's just me, the way my mind goes. And yet, even as a little kid, it seemed a little odd that all of a sudden, that all the little kids in the neighborhood were given license to vandalize houses if said house didn't provide candy on Halloween night, right? Isn't that how it goes? Because that's what we did. There's one ogre who lived down at the end of the street. On Halloween night, we go to ring his doorbell, and the house would be just pitch black. All the lights out, doors locked, windows bolted shut. Knock, 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 ring, 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 nothing. Ah, so that's how you're going to play it. 
and we would return to egg his house. We would throw eggs at his house because he deserved a trick, because he did not give us a treat. Who knew? That's the way we rolled back in the day. I don't know if people do that anymore, but that's how trick became treat became trick. So I do love what has happened since my childhood in the evolution of Halloween from still a kid's holiday, a kid's celebration, albeit of the dark side, into more of an adult's holiday. Because when I was a kid, no no adults dressed up. They just took us trick-or-treating. And now it seems like it's a bigger deal to adults than even kids. And I love that about Halloween. I love it that Everybody I work around wants to dress up on Halloween because it's it's the one opportunity a year to be somebody else. You get to act different, you get to feel different, and you get to impress your friends with your creativity. I love that. I endorse that. I don't participate in that. In part because I'm I'm fine just being me. But even this Halloween. I got shook up because I'm talking to a close friend of mine, guy I play golf with, psychiatrist. This is Brentwood Country Club, just a couple of blocks from where LeBron lives. Psychiatrist lives a couple of more blocks away, what's called Pacific Palisades. There's money there. And he's telling me, that he's got three kids, and I'm going to guess their ages. I think it's seven, five, and three. So they are definitely of Halloween age. And he was saying that they had to get each child three Halloween costumes because they had three big bashes they had to go to, three big parties. And they were going to overlap with some of their, their friends and their schoolmates enough that they needed three different costumes. And I'm like, you need three different costumes? And he's showing me the pictures of the costumes. They are sensationally creative. They're movie quality costumes. Man. Has Halloween changed since I went to Woolworths trying to decide between Goblin and Devil? Always chose Goblin. This is Carter from Marietta, Georgia. What is your favorite Halloween candy, and what do you give out to trick-or-treaters? So, as a kid, when I did trick-or-treat with my little bag, my goblin outfit, costume, my favorite candies to be given were candy corn. I loved candy corn. I miss candy corn. I loved miniature baby Ruths and miniature Butterfingers. Don't know if they still give those out, but we got them then. I loved them. And I actually loved the rare candied apple that we were given on a stick. The problem being, you had to watch out because it could really mess up your bag of other candy. You you almost had to eat it immediately, which I often did when I got one. 
Although later on, I would read about some of these evil candy givers would poison them or put razor blades in the apples or I don't know. So back in the day, you'd get a candied apple, you, you just ate it immediately and I lived to tell. But now my wife Ernestine and I and our quote unquote daughter Hazel are a Maltese now seven years of age. We live on the west side of LA in a gated community with heavy security and trick-or-treaters unfortunately are not allowed because we're not going to allow, the security won't allow just anybody to come into the community. And most who live there don't have kids unless they're visiting, but there are no trick-or-treaters. But back in the day when Ernestine and I had a place in New York in a high-rise building, you could trick-or-treat in the building, and we would get a good number of trick-or-treaters, and Ernestine would go buy Reese's Pieces, Kit Kats, get miniature Snickers, not my favorite, and miniature Milky Ways, not my favorite. But those would be our candies of choice to give. I don't eat candy anymore. You eat it, you wear it. But now that I think of it, I really do miss candy corn. And maybe maybe one of these Friday nights, date night for me, just as a little treat, maybe I would eat one piece of candy corn just for old time's sake. This is Miles from Carson, California. Who would you rather have, Westbrook or Hardin? My obvious answer is neither. But if you force me to choose, if you put the proverbial gun to head, which is exactly how I believe Ty Lu is about to feel on a nightly basis, quote unquote gun to head, obviously I would take James Harden. I'm not a Russ fan. He plays hard, plays his ass off for Russ stat machine, solo act of a stat machine. But obviously, James is a better passer. He's obviously a better shooter. Russ, in his time in the league, ranks dead last over all his years in the NBA in three-point shooting, ranks dead last. James is still a more explosive scorer than Russ. Remember game one against Boston last year? The playoffs scored 45 at Boston, 42 in game four. And then you know what happened right on schedule. Games six and seven with a three to two lead for the Sixers. James Harden in those two games, six and seven, had 10 total turnovers. He shot seven of 27 from the floor. He shot one of 11 from three. He was a minus 40 in plus minus in those two games, both losses in the end of James in Philly. But now, as you know, he's a clipper. And I believe James plus Russ plus Kawhi plus PG, 
will be one big train wreck. It'll be highly watchable, but you will rubberneck it more than you will watch it. James Harden has what I call loser intangibles. I would not want him on my team as gifted as he might still be. He has now quit his way out of three situations in Houston, in Brooklyn, in Philadelphia. And to me, he's best known for his epic playoff failures, his disappearing acts. Now you see him, whoops, now you don't. I don't want to bore you or waste your time by detailing all of said playoff failures, but you know what I'm talking about, including the one I just did detail last year against Boston. Loser intangibles. What's your motivation, James? What are you trying to do? Are you ring chasing to come to the Clippers? Or are you just L.A. chasing? You're from here. You have an off-season home here. You like the nightlife here. No, you love the nightlife here. To get to play half of your schedule in L.A.? I think you're L.A. chasing more than you're ring chasing because I think you know what we know. It ain't going to happen. You're not going to win anything with these Clippers, you and Russ in the backcourt. Think about this. James Harden has made already $340 million in his career. Russell Westbrook, ironically, maybe fittingly, has made almost the same amount of money, about $340 million in his career. So what are they after? Russ loves L.A. He's from L.A. Four-fifths of their starting lineup is going to be from Southern California, from the L.A. area, including Kawhi and Paul George. Russ just loves being able to take his kids to school. I don't blame him for that. They don't mind playing for the stepchildren of L.A., the Clippers, the other team, the team in the shadows. They don't mind it at all because they get to live and operate in L.A. Russ, more of a family man. James, more of a living for the nightlife guy. They just want to be here. They want to get their numbers. And all they're worried about is the ultimate number is how much will I make next season? At at some point, the league is going to say no to both of them. Basically, the whole league did say no to Russ. And basically, the whole league did say no to James, except for the Clippers. The Clippers saved both careers from no careers from end of careers. Only the Clippers, because Steve Ballmer is turning into P.T. Barnum. A sucker is born every minute. Hurry, hurry, step right up and see the amazing Clipper act. We got Westbrook. Now we got Arden. We got Kawhi. We got Paul George. We got Ty Lue. We got a train wreck. Come one, come all, and watch the train wreck. 
Maybe that way we can compete with the Lakers for some headlines and some clicks. The only way I can see this working is if somehow Ty Lue is strong enough to demote Russell Wilson out. I'm just going to Russell Wilson, Russell Westbrook out of the starting lineup. Him too. He needs to be demoted also. Very quietly, Sean Payton is demoting him. That's four straight games Russell Wilson has thrown for under 200 yards. But they, they're starting to turn it around. Clippers, they'll be on their best behavior early on. They might have some nights, do some good things, but it will not work. Train will wreck. Only way it works is if somehow Ty Luke can convince the guy I've called Russell West Brick to take a back seat, to back up James Harden to run the point on the second unit, to bring his unparalleled energy to the floor for 15, 16, 17 minutes a night with the second unit, the shock troops, and let James start and finish as the orchestrator, as more of a pure point guard, the way he often was last year, with Joel Embiid in Philadelphia. I'll give James this. He did lead the league in assists last year. But the question becomes, which came first, the chicken or the Embiid? The chicken or the egg, the Embiid. Which came first? Embiid scored so unstoppably that any feed from Harden registered an assist for James. He led the NBA in assists per game. Way to go, James. I believe if he took the same mindset, he might be able to do the same with the Clippers by feeding Kawhi and feeding Paul George. Your turn, your turn. I'll I'll choose. Because in the end, the Clippers sort of degenerate into your turn or my turn. They play ISO ball. I never see a lot of player movement. I never see a lot of slick passing. Either Kawhi says, I got it. PG says, no, I got it. James could orchestrate. James could divvy it up. James could distribute. Okay, it's your turn. No, this time it's your turn. Or maybe occasionally it's my turn. That's the only way I can see it working because he is a better fit, James is, than Russ for Kawhi and Paul George. To me, Russ is the ultimate me player. He was asked the other day, I know I've argued with Rachel Nichols on Undisputed about this, but he was asked about getting back to being Russ. This is just before the season started this year. He's found a little bit of a new home, a new comfort zone with the Clippers, getting back to being me. And he started talking about, well, me, if you define me, it's 21, 11, and 12. He's talking about averaging a triple-double. And I believe he came into this year thinking, I'm going to get back there because that's how you make the Hall of Fame. 21, 11, and 12. Obviously, four out of five years before he came to the Lakers, Russ averaged a triple-double. That's phenomenal 
unheard of, impossible, never thought I'd see the day one year, let alone four out of five. But he is the ultimate solo act of a stat machine. The triple-double is a stunning stat that doesn't often affect the one lost record. You can be a stat machine on a bad Washington team. You can be a stat machine or try to be on what turned into a bad Laker team. LeBron wanted Russ and realized, be careful what you wish for. It, it became LeBron's worst nightmare to try to play with the turnover lunacy that becomes Russell Westbrook. Remember Undisputed in those days? Every day we used to do a Russell Westbrook turnover blooper reel because we could put together seven or eight turnovers a night where you just shake your head and say, what what are you thinking? Turnovers that if Russ played in a local church league, even the church league coach would yank him. What, What are you thinking? My favorite stat about the new James Harden Clippers is that over the last seven seasons, I'm not making this up. I'm not exaggerating. Over the last seven seasons in the NBA, number one in turnovers over seven seasons is Russell Westbrook. Number two in turnovers over the last seven seasons is James Harden. Now they are together in the same backcourt. These are the two biggest coaching headaches in the NBA. And now they both are playing for Ty Lu. Poor Ty Lu. I love Ty Lu. If anybody could figure this out, he could. But even Ty Lu won't be able to rise above this. Even Ty Lu, who once needed a sabbatical in the middle of a year with LeBron in Cleveland because the scrutiny was so intense and the drama, thanks to the drama king, got so thick in the locker room, it wore on Ty Luce so much that he finally said, I just need to take some time off. My health is failing. I got to get right again. And he finally did. He is a great basketball coach. Just look at the history of these guys. Look at what happened between Russ and Darvin Ham. Wasn't pretty. Look at how hard James has been to coach wherever he's been. These guys are both nightmares for the franchise. They're me guys, solo acts, far more interested in stats than in dubs or L's. They want to be happy individuals as opposed to happy teammates on a championship team. And they are now together again after they fell completely apart in Houston as teammates. They're now together again, we presume, as starting members of the Clippers' backcourt. Train wreck. If Ty tries to 
to ease Russ into a backup role as the quarterback of the second unit, the shock troops. He'll pout. He'll be unhappy. He'll grouse to the media. Maybe Ty could sell him on being sixth man of the year, but you're going to have to play more than 15, 18 minutes a night to become sixth man of the year. You're going to have to play starters minutes. And how are you going to do that? There's only one basketball and only five get to play at one time. I love P.J. Tucker. That was a silver lining to the deal for the Clippers. He will defend. He doesn't care if he ever shoots a lick. If you leave him wide open for those corner threes, he'll make two or three a game, sometimes big ones. But he'll go entire games. He won't score a point. But he will lock you up on defense. At least they have that going for them. But how much run is P.J. going to get? How many minutes will he get? There's only one basketball. And in the end, it feels like this Clipper team will have to outscore you more than keep you from outscoring it. I think defense will be an afterthought. I think those days of Kawhi and Paul George locking you up and locking down on defense are gone. I don't think James will play a lick of defense. I think Russ will try occasionally on defense, hoping that it leads to offense. But as I said on Undisputed, on Halloween morning, the trade broke. If you want to scare somebody on Halloween, go as James Harden. I'm told, ultimately, that Kawhi Leonard, and I do remain a fan, I know he quit on me in San Antonio, but I forgave, didn't forget. I'm told that Kawhi sort of grudgingly signed off on bringing in James Harden. But I've also heard that Kawhi's not happy with the Clippers, that he's looking forward to this year being over so he can leave, go somewhere better. In the end, it just feels like the Clippers are destined to be the Clippers again. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Final question is from Jimmy from Harrison, New Jersey, who asks, who is America's team in the NBA? That's a good question. Undoubtedly, it's the Lakers. The Cowboys brought Hollywood to Dallas out in the middle of the country. 
North Texas, starting in 1960, while the Lakers went from Minneapolis to Hollywood, to the real Hollywood, also in 1960. Remember, Minnesota, land of 10,000 lakes, so hence nickname in Minneapolis, Lakers. Minneapolis gave L.A. the Lakers, named after the many lakes, suddenly gone to Hollywood. There's only one NBA team worthy, capable, with the mystique and the magnitude of carrying an entire series on HBO called Winning Time. That's the Lakers. I lived through those years, the Showtime Lakers, which is why I tried and failed to stay with Winning Time, but all my friends say it's great, but there's only one franchise in the NBA that could carry that. that would have the ratings chops to carry that nationally, that's the Lakers. But understand, the Lakers have been way, way, way more successful than the America's team, the Cowboys, who are still way, way, way more popular than the Lakers. So just a quick trot through history. Back in Minneapolis, the the Lakers, led by the great George Mikan, one of the first great big men, maybe the first, they were in six NBA finals and won five. That's already before they went to Hollywood. And here they came to L.A. and the great Jerry West, the logo, Great eye for talent, great general manager. Hallowed Jerry West. Those Laker teams went to nine finals. Unfortunately for those Laker teams and Jerry West, they won only one time, but they went to nine finals. Nine finals. Whew. And then here came Kareem. And then here came Magic. And here came Showtime. I will tell you this. Back in my Dallas columnist days, thanks to a lot of big Mavericks Lakers series, I spent a lot of time out here in L.A. covering a lot of Lakers playoff games, a lot of them. And I became a closet Laker fan. I'll admit it. I I got caught up in Showtime's Lakers. I bought a couple of t-shirts that I wore around Dallas. I bought a, you know, like a tank top that I could play basketball in. Every time I played pickup basketball, I wore my Lakers top. I had Lakers game-type shorts, drawstrings out like Michael Cooper. They got me. Back in the pre-Magic days, when I worked out here at the LA Times soon after college at Vanderbilt, I covered the Lakers, so I, I get the Lakers. They, they sort of got in my blood, that purple and gold. 
This was Kareem's Lakers pre-Magic that I covered. But I get the magnitude of the Lakers. And then abracadabra, we go from Kareem and Magic to Shaq and Kobe? Really? Here they came. Obviously, Shaq and Kobe won three out of four NBA Finals. And if you look at Kobe, just in and of himself, he won five rings and seven tries. That's a lot of finals and a lot of rings. So grand total, you know, obviously, I, how quickly I forget. LeBron did win that, win that one bubbleicious championship in the bubble back in 2020. That asterisk championship, that cubic zirconia ring. He did win that one, mostly because the Clippers just couldn't take the bubble. Lou Williams talked about that on a podcast the other day. He's exactly right. They were the better team. I'd pick the Clippers to win it all that year. They mostly had Pat Bev at point guard back at age 31. They were loaded top to bottom. I love that team, but they did not love the bubble. They didn't want to be in the bubble. Lou got his nickname Lemon Pepper Lou for ducking out, going to Atlanta. As he said, he just couldn't take it anymore. They all had cabin fever. Paul George flipped out. They wanted out. They had a 3-1 lead on Denver, and you know the rest of the story. Then the Lakers beat Denver. Then the Lakers beat Miami and stole a pretty fraudulent championship that the Clippers should have won, could have won, didn't win. Bubble. But they, they got another one. So here's the grand total. The Lakers, all the way back to Minneapolis, have been to 32 finals. Think about it, 32 finals. They've won 17 finals. 17 finals? So more than half the time that they went to the finals, they won. It's a lot of finals and a lot of rings, man. Whew. Which brings me to my Dallas Cowboys. My Cowboys have been to eight Super Bowls and won five. So let's compare notes here. Lakers, 32 finals and won 17. Dallas Cowboys, eight Super Bowls, won five. Ugh. Not in the same league, right? It's been 27 years since my Cowboys even played in an NFC championship game, let alone a Super Bowl. 27 years. 15 times in those 27 years, they missed the playoffs. In playoff games over the last 27 years, my Dallas Cowboys, America's team, are 5-12 and 12 for, for franchises over those years that have played at least 15 playoff games over that 27-year stretch. Dallas's winning percentage is dead last at 5-12. and 12. Hmm. Yeah, which team does Forbes rank as the most valuable in the world, including all of those Euro soccer franchises, or if you prefer football? Number one in the world in value, the Dallas Cowboys. 
Lakers on that list rank 15th. Huh, wait a second, 15th. Believe it or not, the Warriors are third on that list. So they're all the way up at number three. And the Knicks are ninth on that list. So the NBA teams are ranked Warriors three, Knicks nine, Lakers 15th. 15th? Cowboys one, Lakers 15th in value. Part because of arena issues. Lakers don't own their arena now called Crypto.com in downtown L.A. But still, far and away, the most most valuable team, America's team, the America's team. So if you want to argue success, (laughs) I can't argue. You got me, Lakers, Lakers Nation. Props to you. You're the king. But if you want to talk popularity, enduring mystique and magnitude and aura, captivation, my cowboy still got the world by the eyeballs. The world can't stop watching the Dallas Cowboys who invariably Every season, including this one, will have the top four or five rated games of the year. This one on Fox, 425 Eastern on Sunday, Dallas at Philadelphia. That number will go through the roof. That'll be up there top five of NFL games this year, including playoff games. Just watch, and you will. For Dallas Cowboy fans, the team is always just good enough to keep you coming back for more. Sometimes it's almost more fun that they almost get there and fail than it is to dominate the way we did with Roger Staubach in the 70s, Troy Emmett Michael in the 90s. We got our five. We know what it feels like, at least I do as lifelong diehard, to play in eight Super Bowls. But it's a distant memory because it's been 27 years. And I'm still coming back for more, more, more. They are still, on a daily basis, the most interesting team in all of sports, including LeBron's Lakers. The most interesting team on a daily basis, Jerry Jones' Dallas Cowboys. The most entertaining Team, the one that's hardest to figure is routinely my Dallas Cowboys. They can beat the Giants 40 to nothing. They can lose to the woeful Arizona Cardinals of Joshua Dobbs 28 to 16. They can crush Belichick 38 to 3. They can annihilate the Rams 40 to 23. And they can go on a Sunday night stage out to the Bay Area and lose to the 49ers 42 to 10. Go figure. Sometimes I can't. But my fascination level runs hot, runs high for my Dallas Cowboys. I can't quit thinking about them. I can't quit analyzing them. I can't quit talking about them. 
because they are the America's team dwarfing even the Los Angeles Lakers, the NBA's America's team. That is it for episode 87. Thank you for listening and or watching. Thanks to Jonathan Berger and his All-Pro team for making this show go. Thanks to Tyler Korn for producing. Please remember, undisputed every weekday, 9.30 to noon Eastern, The Skip Bayless Show, every week.